What's going on everybody? Wesley Shoemaker, Aaron Parker back with you today. On today's episode of the Blue Gold Sports Podcast, we're going to talk a lot of football, but also get into a lot of basketball talk as well. So this is the Blue Gold Sports Podcast. What's going on everybody? We are back with you today, Wesley Shoemaker, Aaron Parker, another episode, another day, another week for West Virginia football, and three games left. If they want to make a bowl game, they've got to now win all three. It was a pretty disappointing performance, pinch me if I've said that before this year. It was a, it was a disappointing performance against Iowa State, plain and simple. The Mountaineers couldn't do anything on offense and the defense. They clawed their way and they fought. And ultimately, there was a roughing the punter penalty and then the floodgates just opened up. So Mountaineers three and six. They have to win out if they want to win a bowl game. Uh, tough, tough task this week facing Oklahoma. Oklahoma doesn't have their best team, but Sooners are really good. And the Mountaineers have not beat the Sooners since joining the Big 12. So Mountaineers return home this week. Big opportunity and a lot of question marks as they head into this matchup this weekend. Yeah, another bad loss for the Mountaineers. It's um, you know, it's it's a tough season to be a Mountaineer fan. And just, you know, I go back to our, our season preview podcast where I was predicting the Mountaineers to go eight and four. And here we are um with another loss to and to Iowa State, who is they were a bad football team. I mean, they're they're probably not gonna make a bowl. They're down this year. I know they have a good coach in Matt Campbell, but, you know, not a great offense. It's pretty strong defense, but they're not going to make any noise, um, you know, come December and January. So, bad loss, disappointing. I only got to watch the first half of it, but within the first half, like, it's just like one of those games where, I, you know, I kind of I figured what the outcome would be without even watching the second half, and and, and I was right. You know, they, they didn't put up any points. Um, kind of perplexing that JT Daniels is struggling this much. Um, you know, I guess he doesn't have an injury. Neil Brown alluded to obviously him not being injured. He's just, you know, struggling and he's confident that he's going to come out play a good game on Saturday. So um, I'm kind of confused why he's playing so bad right now. Yeah, I'm not sure he's not hurt. What I will say, though, is if he is hurt, I think the whole point of what Neil's trying to say is the injury is not the reason for him doing bad. I think it is very likely that he – is dealing with some sort of injury just because he plays the quarterback position. It is week 10, week 11 of the season. And it that's like, it just comes with the territory. So do I think he's hurt? Yes. Do I think that's the reason why he's playing poorly? No. Um, I think this offense just, I thought the play calling wasn't great. There was really no rhythm there. There was no creativity. And when you were down CJ Donaldson and Tony Mathis in the backfield, and you're playing a good defense, you've got to get creative. And I just felt like there was never that spark. There was never that creativity piece on this offense against Iowa State. And it's it's perplexing, as you said. And it's also confusing how they it's, – it's like there's a, a different team that shows up on the road and at home. And I personally just think that points to coaching. You're either ready to go or you're not. They said they were going to change some things. And, yes, it was close in the first quarter, but – Everyone's still stalled. Like the biggest thing for this team in road games, I th- would say besides Pitt, 
which I wouldn't necessarily call a true road game. There are a lot of West Virginia fans in the atmosphere and the hype. You're going to be ready yeah. to go no matter what. And the Virginia Tech game is that they started okay in those games. The biggest thing with these road games isn't how they finish. It's how they just seem to not even realize they're playing a football game until it's the second quarter or the third quarter. And against Texas, like second drive, you get the short field off of a punt after your defense makes a great three and out, like, and you just don't do anything from it. And then against Texas Tech, they go up and down the field twice. And then you're like, oh my goodness, we're actually here to like, it's the, it's the waiting around to get things going rather than getting things going from the beginning. And at home, these teams like against Baylor, they scored on their first drive against TCU. They scored on their first drive uh, against Kansas. They scored on their first drive. So it just doesn't make sense how there's such a big difference between at home and on the road. And I'm not saying it's the defense's fault. I'm saying it's like, this is on the offense. You're a lot more creative. You're a lot more fast paced at home and you move the ball a lot better early at home than you do on the road. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. And you know, you make a good point. Like it's almost a, as if the team doesn't know that it's, it's game time when they go down for a Saturday game on the road, you know, um, I don't, I, I think they had a bad start against Virginia tech. I mean, defensively, I guess they were pretty good, but offensively, you know, 13 points at halftime, I think. And Virginia Tech's a really bad football team. So to win that game, not all that impressive. I know it's a good atmosphere. I know it's, you know, pretty hostile, but you had some fans in your corner there too. And, um, you know, when you go to Big 12 road games, even dating back to, you know, first season 2019, it's almost like half the time they don't even know they're there. Texas, go down 28 zip. Texas Tech, I mean, Texas Tech is not that much better than than WVU and you, you could beat 48-10. And against Iowa State, who has been struggling offensively, I think if they have a high-powered offense, WV would have lost by three or four touchdowns. Instead, they kind of, you know, call it, you know, made it 10-7 and a half, defensive battle, started getting knocked around a little bit, you know, made the score look a little bit better. But, like, if that's a high-powered offense Iowa State has, probably they were probably out of that game in the second quarter. Thankfully, you know, Decker's not all that accurate. Their real weapon is, is Hutchinson, but outside of that, they don't have much. So to go down there, play a three-even-five football team, and again, not show up. Don't even like know you're down there. Um, it's kind of embarrassing. And like you said, it was very, you know, the offense was not creative at all. And you think at this point of the season, like both teams are three and five. You're going down there. You got to prove something. You're three and five. You got to call your way back in. Maybe a trick play or two, you'd think at this point, um, but nothing. I'm waiting for the play where Garrett Green is at quarterback in the Wildcat, they throw something to JT or the other way around. I'm waiting for that play. I think it has to be there, right? When you have two quarterbacks, two true quarterbacks on the field, I'm waiting for that play. Not sure if we'll get it. Um, JT Daniels, let's let's dive into this a little deeper. Um, he <clears throat> hasn't been himself, as we said, but I also think that he has to be put in better situations to succeed. Um, the offensive line has been beat up these last few games. Um, he's gotten hit a, a lot more. It seems like, it seems like he's also been having to move out of the pocket and he's had to make more throws on the run and have a moving base, which is what all these quarterbacks are trying not to do is have to have the pocket be moved. And so for me, that is somewhat of a factor, but he's just got to play better. Like eight completions. Are you like, 
that's when you have to start believing in these short passing games, these three, four-yard completions on first down. Do it again on second, and then you have a third and manageable. But too many times we've seen JT and company have a incompletion on first down or throw behind someone on second down, or you have a guy and you just can't quite get it there. There's a miscommunication, and this is game number 10 now, and you can't be having that this week. Last three games, JT's thrown a combined five interceptions. Before that, he only threw three the whole year. So something's got to give at some point. Um, I, I I just think he's destined to bounce back because when you only throw for 81 yards and 8 of 22 passing, it can't get much worse than that. But if he struggles, yes, he's the starter, but if he struggles and Oklahoma's putting up points on you, I think you've got to do something to try and at least light a spark on that offense. And if that means putting JT on the bench, that means putting JT on the bench. Yeah, JT's not to go without blame. You know, this team is is sitting at three and six, and there's problems all around the board. It's, it's not just the defense. It's not just the secondary. Um, it's all around the board, coaching, defense, offensive line, offense, and quarterback play. Um, and, yeah, maybe he's dealing with a little something, but he's not playing good. Uh, he's missed throws uh, multiple times over the last – two or three weeks that, you know, when we were watching Pitt and Virginia Tech, is like, dang, he's he's putting it right in the breadbasket. He's not he's not missing the throws. Um, he's resembling type, you know, maybe a, a Will Greer or Gina Smith type WB quarterback that, you know, when he's got to put it there, he's got to put it there. But um, he hasn't been like that the last couple of weeks. And, uh, um, you know, I'm not sure what's going on, but I do think he'll bounce back. I think he'll have a pretty good game against Oklahoma. I don't know if he'll light him up or anything like that, but um, just watching the first half of Iowa State, I know it was windy. That was in the 40s, but um, the spin on that ball didn't look very good. Um, it didn't look very good at, in Lubbock either. Um, so he's got to bounce back. He's got to get back to, you know, throwing a tight ball um, and putting it in the breadbasket and making his receivers do the work. Yeah, I mean, Oklahoma's defense isn't lights out either. 14, like against Power 5 schools, they gave up 14 points to Nebraska. That was the week after, what, Scott Frost got fired in that emotional game. So – Discount that, I'd say. They gave up 41 to Kansas State, 55 to TCU, 49 to Texas, 42 to Kansas, 13 to Iowa State, and then 35 last week, 38, excuse me, last week to Baylor. So they, they're they susceptible to giving up points, and I think this team has to take advantage of that if they're going to want to win this weekend. And it starts with the quarterback. And, yes, you were without two running backs, but, like, I hate how he has this five-star label and therefore we expect him to be that five-star guy still. He's two injuries later, four years later, like people just think, oh, J.J. Daniels, five-star quarterback and expect him to play like that. But he's not that same guy. Um, And I think there has to be the realization that he didn't win his job back at Georgia. And there's a reason for that. And Georgia went on and won a national championship without him. There's there's a reason for that. I'm not saying JT's a bad quarterback. I'm just saying the expectation that he's going to be elite is a hard expectation to put on him because of the five-star label. And that five-star label from 2017, 2018 should not still be relevant in his play in 2022. And I think that is unfair to him to have that label over his head when it's four, five years later after where he was back then. It is kind of unfair. And it's been a long time since he was, you know, the, um, you know, high school player of the year. He's on all kinds of magazines, um, you know, freshman starter at USC. It's been a long time since that. 
And you're right. I mean, he didn't he didn't win his job at Georgia. And there's a reason for that. Stetson Bennett's a good quarterback. Um, he does what he needs to do. But, um, you know, I, I think you're right. But but JT is a talented guy. And, you know, if you were to talk to him, he, you know, he, he expects, you know, the highest from himself. But, to you know, to put him with the, you know, the Will Greers of the world, you know, I know Gino wasn't a four-star or a five-star, but, you know, by the time his career was over at West Virginia, you know, he looked like one. So to put him with that group is probably a little unfair. Um, but, I, you know, I've seen him at his best, and he's a very talented quarterback. So um, I know in the last leg of the season he's going to step it up a little bit, um, and hopefully he can take advantage of an Oklahoma defense that's, you know, historically pretty shaky. I know they only gave up 13 to Iowa State, but, I mean, Iowa State's offense, I mean, is really just run through one guy. So I don't think they're they're that good, and I know JT expects the highest out of himself. Very competitive guy, so he's going to go out, and I think he'll step it up in the last leg of the season. And let's go bigger picture here even with JT. It's that – now that he is struggling like this and he's thrown five interceptions in three games and he just threw for 81 yards, I mean, I think it's becoming more and more apparent that he could possibly come back. And mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that's the worst thing in the world. It's also becoming apparent that this coaching staff is going to be here next year, possibly. Um, obviously, a lot can still change down the stretch of the season. But what I'm saying there is there's – still going to be a lot of room for improvement. And when we've seen, he has such a high ceiling, but I also think that his floor is a lot lower than it should be for his talent. And because he is capable of doing so much, I think the expectation is that he is always performing at that higher level. But there's also times where he struggled. And I think that is part of your development. And this is his first time playing a full season since what, 2019? So this is expected, and obviously we didn't expect this team to be three and six. Obviously, I don't think we expected JT Daniels to throw for only 81 yards in a full game, but it's where we are, and I think that's why we have to assess this. And so we also have to think he's an uncharted and unfamiliar territory for himself, and that's a thing that he's dealing with as well. Yeah, I mean, I remember before the season started, I mean, I, I kind of thought JT would come here. It's his third school. He was at USC. He was at Georgia. Um, won a national championship last year, um, you know, behind Stetson Bennett. I thought coming into West Virginia, he, he'd come in, uh, kind of pop off. Maybe the Mountaineers would win seven or eight games. And then maybe he'd try to test the waters as far as the combine and the NFL draft goes. And and now here we are sitting at three and six. He's been struggling. Maybe he's got an injury. Um, and yeah, he'll probably have to be looking to come back and prove himself again. And obviously there's a ton of what ifs, you know, it, it, you know, it's looking like the staff is going to stay through the season, but you know, if it doesn't, um, is he going to transfer again? But then, then he might get labeled as, you know, somebody who can't maybe commit. There's obviously a lot of what ifs, but I'm just saying, as it looks right now, like if he comes back next year, I mean, you're, yeah, you're losing your Bryce Ford Wheatons, but you're like there's still you're still in a good spot with him as your quarterback next year, even though he's struggling now. And yes, there's all the Nico hype and all the Garrett Green hype, but JT I think is still the better quarterback. And until proven otherwise, and yes, I do think that if he was not good enough to go, and one of these quarterbacks was really balling out in practice, like we don't see practice, and we have to trust that this coaching staff is making the correct decision and that they are giving every guy a chance. And I just feel like 
if one of those guys was playing at such a high level in practice to get on the field and rival Daniels, we would know by now. And there's a reason JT is still the starter and still playing as much as he is with this team playing and struggling the way they are. But let's also be real. He's kept this team in games by himself sometimes. When the defense has really struggled, especially early on in the year, in that first half of the year, he kept teams this team in games. And so I think if there was a better option at quarterback right now in the West Virginia building, we would know and we would be seeing it this Saturday. And there's not. And so that's why JT's still a guy. Yeah, as far as trusting the staff goes, um, you know, trusting that JT is still a guy is is not something I'm worried about. Um, you know, JT is is probably the most talented in that room and he's he's experienced. Um, and so I, I do trust that that he remains the best one there. And thank Goose and, and Nico obviously have a long way to go as far as development goes. Hopefully not too long, but you know, they're you know, Goose is, is still young and Nico's a true freshman, 18, 19 year old. So um I think there it really comes down to Garrett Green versus JT. And at this point in the season, um, you know, Garrett Green has taken reps at a receiver. He's looked pretty good there. Um, so yeah, I don't I I trust that the coaching staff is right in, in keeping JT Daniels in. Um and I don't think the fans I don't think the fans are really impatient with him at this point. They know that, you know, there's been some line trouble, line injuries. Um, he's played a couple bad games, but I think the fan base still trusts JT Daniels. Yeah, I think you have to trust JT Daniels because he's your quarterback, and that's what you have to do with your quarterback. Moving on, though, um, earlier we were talking about how West Virginia really hasn't shown up for a true Big 12 road game in a while. And I would say, and I would argue, besides Kansas last year, which we will discount that because that was when Kansas was still so-called Kansas. Now they are going to a bowl game this year, believe it or not. Um the last real road game West Virginia showed up in a big-time environment was this Oklahoma team last year. If you remember, uh, Garrett Green, he played on that first drive. It got a touchdown against the Sooners last year in Norman, primetime um, national television. And the Mountaineers contended with them, and they had every chance to win that game. Obviously, uh, there was the snap. There was the false start penalty. Um couple things just didn't go the Mountaineers way ultimately and Oklahoma won as the clock hit zero 16-13 but even though it is a new staff even though Oklahoma does not have the same quarterback does not have much of the same identity as that team last year just because Lincoln's moved on to USC you still have that confidence I think when you see the Oklahoma brand and so if I'm West Virginia and if I'm some of those defensive guys like Dante Stills, like Taj Alston, and I know what this team did last year in Norman, I'm bringing some some sort of swag and confidence heading into this Saturday against the Sooners at home. Absolutely. Oklahoma is a team that has had WVU's number since WVU joined the Big 12. WVU has still not got not got the monkey off their back um, in the form of beating them. Been so close a million times. The Tavon Austin 500-plus all-purpose yard game um, in 2012, they found a way to lose, miss an extra point, didn't convert two-point conversions. The Will Greer game, you know, lost by three. There's been so many times the Mountaineers were right there. And, and, and there in Norman last year, usually it's here in Morgantown, but even, even in Norman they were right there. Um, and they just can't get the monkey off their back. So even though they're three and six, um, I think, guys, you know, like you said, guys like Dante who grew up in West Virginia, he's been for, here for a long time. He's been in those games. He knows the Oklahoma brand. He knows that, you know, there's a mental toll to this game that, you know, Oklahoma expects to win um, every year. Even though they're a little down this year, they expect to come in and beat West Virginia um, because they've done it so many times. They don't think 
WVI's chance. Um, and even in a close game, they just they just know that they're going to pull away. So um, I think this is the year. I mean, in the preseason, I picked picked WVU to get the monkey off their back, and I think I'm going to you know keep that um, because it's at home. I mean, like you said, the the team does not show up on the road, but they showed up against TCU at home, showed up against Baylor, and I think they're going to show up again. Yeah, the drastic difference between how this team plays at home and plays on the road, and not just this year under Neil Brown, like. It's it's just it's it's puzzling, but it's also kind of fascinating in the sense that, like, like what's the underlying reason? And it, and at some point, yes, you can blame coaching all you want, but at some point, there's got to be an underlying reason because the coaches can only do so much. The players actually go out there and play, and so I don't know what it is. I don't know. Like it, it's just, it's fascinating to see the difference when it's the same group of guys, and it could be a week to week basis. Like West Virginia. They could go score two touchdowns in the first quarter, and I don't think any of us would be surprised this week. But if they did that last week at Iowa State, we'd be shocked. And so that kind of up and down swing, that roller coaster, if you want to call it that, that's it's 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 confusing, but to me it's also fascinating just because what is the what is the like reason why? Like why do you think it like Aaron? I'll ask you this. Why do you think this team struggles on the road so much compared to at home? Like, what do you think the reason is? Well, I mean, you know, playing in Morgantown is is a, a nice atmosphere, especially if you're the home team. Um, and they like to they like to defend Mountaineer Field, but you know, I think the reason I don't I can't pinpoint a single issue, but you know, what I see is is lack of preparation um when they go out on the road. And it's disappointing because it's every year in the COVID 2020 season, Mountaineers won every game at home took down 16th ranked Kansas state and won out the rest of the year at Mountaineer field. And they didn't win a single road game and they won the Liberty bowl. And there's just been, there's been issues since 2019 playing on the road. There's no shows every year. There's usually two no shows every year. Um, and it's just, it's a lack of preparation. And um, I think that blame goes to both the coaching staff and the players because um, you know, the coaches get the players ready, but the players, like you said, they go out there on the field and, um, you know, I don't know if there's an intimidation factor, but, um, you know, that's what they signed up for when they played big, you know, big 12 football. They're going to have to go in, you know, some of the toughest environments in the country outside of the SEC country. So, you know, I, it just looks like a lack of preparation to me. And what puzzles me the most is that you make a good point with preparation, but what puzzles me the most is how, like, you have – it's not like you have true freshmen playing all 22 starting spots. Like you have guys who've been there, done that guys who've done it at different schools, like JC Daniels guys who've done it here, like Dante stills. You have guys that are still from that 2018 team here that won a lot of football games. So some point we always like, I've said, I've hammered this home. Like something's got to give at some point, this team's going to play well, but like, Maybe they won't, and we'll, we they have one more road game this year at Oklahoma State where, again, they haven't won there in a while. So we'll cross that bridge when we get there, but it's just something to think about for the rest of this year. Um, little state of the program, it's troublesome if West Virginia doesn't win these last three and become bowl eligible. And there is a high chance they do not win those final three because it is a, a tough road ahead for the month of November. So um, – you go first. I'll follow you up. Just kind of your overall thoughts on where this program's at, um, and what you think what you think should be done going forward. Yeah, I mean the uh, the state of the program right now is not good. Um, 
you know, I, it's at the point where I think Mountaineer fans are expecting to lose. Um, a lot of them are turning off the, the games um, and they kind of know the outcome before it happens, especially when a team travels um, and they're not in Morgantown. So um, obviously there's a lot of factors that go into that. Um, you know, if, if you, you know, like you said, if they don't win out, they don't make a bowl. Um, you know, you go, you miss a bowl. They missed, let's see, guaranteed rate bowl last year, no show. Um, they've missed the bowl in 2019. So, you know, if you keep missing bowls, you know, if you put it, you know, two and three years or two and four years, you don't want to shift into irrelevance. And um, I'm hoping that's not where the program's going. Hoping changes are made as far as, you know, accountability. But um, what I see, you know, even going back to the lack of preparation when you go on the road, it's just the team kind of seems mentally weak at times. And they have, you know, over the cross of across multiple years, not just this year. So, um, you know, and it's not just freshmen, like you said, like there's missed assignments all the time between veterans. And that's usually when they're playing on the road. And that's, you know, shows mental weakness. And, you know, it's frustrating at times to watch that. Um, but if you put together a couple good wins, um, you give yourself a chance. If you go six and six, two years in a row, then maybe you can build on that, get seven, eight the next year um, and keep going from there. But right now it's not looking too good. The biggest thing for me, I think, is that for all the people and fans, especially like Twitter has been going crazy. Facebook's been going crazy. For all the fans who are in the fire Neil Brown right now camp, I'll say this. Like, who are you going to get that's going to turn this thing around in the next year, in the next year? Because if you bring in a new coach, there's a high chance you lose a lot of those recruits. If you bring in a new coach, there's a high chance a lot of guys that are on the current team, like that are your better players, like Caden Prather or CJ Donaldson, there's a high chance they walk. Um and I'm not saying that there isn't a chance they walk anyway this 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 winter, but I'm saying there's a lesser chance if this coaching staff still is in place. Um, and for all those who want Brown to be let go, who are you going to get that's better that won't take another three to four years? And so why not give this staff another year to try and prove themselves because – it's not like things are going to automatically be better. Like you were last in the Big 12. The only the the only way from here is up. And as much as it is like hard to see this team and you can't get excited for this team and for me that's the biggest thing is that there's no excitement around this team and around this program anymore. 2018, 2017, like even go back to Skylar like Skylar Howard and pre that and when we were growing up, Aaron, right? Like there was always this excitement, like, oh my gosh, West Virginia plays today, right? And there's never that, oh my gosh, West Virginia plays today. It's now when, oh my gosh, West Virginia plays today. So do I think there is a clear-cut answer on what should or should not be done? No. Do I think there is a way to find that answer? Also, no. You're either going to put all your eggs in one basket and sticking with this regime or you're not. And you're going to have to live with it either way. You're going to have to live with the money either way. And I think that's going to be the biggest, biggest thing is what are you going to end up wanting to live and die with more what you've seen for the past three plus years or another question mark, because Neil Brown on paper was the right hire. 
And here we are in year four and another no-show on the road <clears throat> on the verge of not being bowl eligible in year four. In year four. Um, year four for Dana was what, 2015? 2016? And look how that team did compared to this team. So West Virginia isn't in a good space. It is not in a good spot nationally. And there's no magic yes or no right or wrong answer. And I think that's the biggest, biggest reason why we are here. And we're just going to basically have to wait and see what this administration, what this school as a whole in WVU wants, wants to do because there's there's two directions to go. That's that's the clearest thing. There's two directions to go, and it is Neil or not. And has he proven enough and done enough to show that he deserves another year? On field, I would say no, but if you look at what he's done off the field is recruiting and the high level talent. I'm not saying the overall class, but the high level talent, the Rodney Gallagher's that are coming here, right? Like that he has a chance to be a game changer next year. And so if you lose Neil, you probably lose him. If you lose Neil, you probably lose Caden Prather, CJ Donaldson. You can keep going and going. And all these freshmen that are struggling on defense, they're going to have to learn a new scheme and they'll be struggling as sophomores. So, I don't know. It's 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 the it's the twenty million dollar question you you could call it, but it's also the question of where do you go if you do move on from him? Because there is no clear cut answer that is better immediately. Yeah, there's no clear cut answer, and that's what makes this such a sticky situation. Is just if you do fire him, and if the assistant coaches go with him, you know who are you going to get right now? But um, I think what what you said during that was was that when we were growing up, it was it was even if Skyler Howard, Clint Trickett, uh, you know those guys. You put out a, a respectable football team, and and you know they got the job done. Um, they only missed the bowl really one time in our childhood, I think, um, and so that level of excitement across the state and across the fan base was just always high. Didn't matter if we didn't have the five-star quarterback in. Didn't matter if it was Skyler Howard or Clint Trickett or Paul Millard, you know. Um, now to say the program is, you know, it's like, oh, man, Mountaineers play today. We got to suffer through that again. Um, and it's been like that for a couple of years now. Um, if they play on the road, you know they're not going to show up. Um, and so that's why, like, in my lens, I would say if, you know, if things don't get turned around really soon, it's time to blow it up. Um, because you're looking at year four and you're not going to make a bowl for the second time in, in the administration. Um, and under Dana, he only did that one time. Year four, they were successful, won 10 games um, with Skylar Howard. So, um, but yeah, there's no quick quick fix. You'd lose some recruits. Hopefully, if guys have been here for a couple of years, like Kane Prather, hopefully they stay. But you can't you can't book on that. Um, Especially with NIL now. Yeah, especially with NIL and Caden Prather, CJ Donson have proven themselves. But I mean, if you keep if the program is still like this, to where you know fans are like, you know, I'd rather watch this game than than my Mountaineers, then then you got to blow it up because that should never be like that with West Virginia. You know, this is the only team in the state, and you know, I know a lot of fans that are like, you know, I'd rather watch this game than the Mountaineers. I've given up on them. 
Um, you know, and if, if that doesn't get turned around really soon, then you just got to, you just got to, you know, dip in them in your pockets and, and blow it up the, the thing. And like you said, Neil Brown on paper was the right hire. And I agree with that. Um, I have no problem with, you know, the hire of Neil Brown. Um, he was a proven coach at, at Troy, proven coordinator. Um, what I did have a problem was with the, ex- was the extension of his contract when he hadn't really proven himself here. Didn't have a problem with his, with the hire. Um, he's a good, you know, recruiter. He, you know, establishes a culture here. Um, but on field, he hasn't, you know, proven it significantly. So like, why did, why, why was the extension so big to where his buyout is $20 million? Um, I think he won five games in a bowl game and then he got that, that extension. So I don't have a problem with the hire. Um, the extension is, is what, is what really gets me because it puts you in this place where you're, you're stuck. Even if you want to move on, you, you really can't. So that's where it's at right now. Yeah, the extension's puzzling, and there were rumors that Auburn was going to try and go after him. And But Auburn hired Brian Harson, and he's now yeah. jobless yeah. right now, too. So also for context, people, Aaron is 21, I'm 20, um, both juniors at WVU right now. So we like the, the biggest thing for me is that belief and that if Neil stays, how do fans believe in him Week one, when you travel to Penn State next year, and week four or week three, whatever it is, when Pitt comes to town, how can you believe and like try and get behind this team when, for the, in the past four seasons, it's proved to be at best average? Because his best finish is a 500 finish, besides the COVID year when they didn't even play a full schedule. Um, and that's that's the biggest thing for me is that. There were mo- like most Saturdays, no matter who West Virginia was playing growing up, Aaron, you and me, we probably thought to ourselves, West Virginia is going to go out and fight. They're going to go give it a chance. But there's not that belief anymore. And I think when you don't have that belief and you don't have that buy-in within the fan base and that buy-in within the program as a whole, and I'm not just saying the program as in the team that goes out every Saturday. I mean the fans, the like the hat, like everything around that surrounds and makes West Virginia football, West Virginia football. You were a national brand for the last decade, two decades, and now here you are on the verge of not making a bowl game in year four of a coaching regime. Like it's so, it's just not, it's not good when you're this type of program. And I just don't know where you go from here. I, I like, and I don't think anyone does really. And I think that's that's the biggest thing is you don't you there's no right answer because what happens when neil brown gets fired goes to a different school has success and the new coach comes in here and goes four and eight for the next two years so there's that possibility and that's that's troublesome to me too it is um but you know i think another point to bring up with nil and you know guys like caden prather you know cj donaldson guys like that charles woods maybe um, well, Charles Woods is a little bit older, but you know, those types of players that have been here um and had success, Justin Johnson, even like who's to say, like if even if you keep this administration, if you keep if you keep putting out irrelevant football that you know does not win games, does not show up on the road, who's to say they don't transfer for NIL anyway, even if their coach does does get fired, you know, even if Neil stays and you and the administration sticks with him for another year, who's to say they don't you know, find greener grass elsewhere. So I think, you know, like I said, if it just, 
if it, if it's still irrelevant, if it keeps shifting in that direction, at some point you got to blow it up and hope that, like you said, like what if Neil gets fired in the next guys four and eight? You just got to, you know, you got to trust that the AD is going to make the hire to where that's not going to happen again because WVU is a program where, you know, like, like you said, people get excited for it because they know the football is usually pretty good. This is, what, the 14th winningest program of all time. I think the number one program without a national championship. So, like, you know, this is a national program, Big 12 school. Um, so, you know, you got to trust that you're going to make a hire that's not going to be, um, you know, this un- unsuccessful in year four um, because this isn't like the, – the, the WV or the Big East – is gone. The Big East is gone. This is a you know a national school that isn't you know on national TV every week. They're playing Texas. They're playing Oklahoma State. They're playing fourth ranked TCU every week. You know, so they're playing these schools and they're not keeping up. Um, right now, they're a bottom feeder. And even you know teams under Dana's administration that like weren't the best of the best didn't have a very a good defense to even compete against Big Twelve schools. They still competed. They still went seven and five. You know. Um, and those five losses weren't even, always blowouts. That's the thing. It's yeah, not like they yeah. were never had a chance. Like that's the thing with this team right now. I feel like is sometimes when after the first quarter, you feel like this team never has a chance to get back into it. And I felt like that was never the case. Like that's never really been the case where on a consistent basis, I'm not saying on a specific game by game basis, but like on a consistent week to week basis where you felt West Virginia has no chance. And that's the biggest problem. Exactly. And, and the Iowa State game proves that. I mean, I, you know, I had other things to do for the second half. I couldn't watch it, but I did get to watch the first half. Down 10 7, go in the locker room. And I knew the game was over. And I'm not definitely, I'm, I swear, I'm not trying to be glass half empty pessimistic. I just, I watched the game. I've watched this team over and over again, seen how they play, seen how it's been coached. And I, I knew there was a very slim chance the Mountaineers were going to win that game. And it just shouldn't be like that. Let's flip the script uh, a little bit. Yes, flip, basketball season. Flip sports before we get into our final predictions for this weekend. Basketball is back. Um, <clears throat> West Virginia opened their season officially with a 76-58 win over Mount St. Mary's on Monday. Two days from now, on Friday, the Mountaineers will travel to Pitt to play in the backyard brawl. And that is the first of many, many uh, challenges on this non-conference schedule. And then they obviously get into the Big 12, which is the best conference in the country. So, Aaron, I will let you talk kind of whatever you want to talk about with basketball. You can talk about certain players. You can talk about what you're expecting, uh, kind of whatever you want to get into. Yeah, so, um, you know, it's tough to gauge after just one game, and I didn't watch the Bowling Green exhibition. Um, but I, I like what I saw. Obviously, they didn't blow out Mount St. Mary's exactly like they should have. Let them hang around a little bit. Um, but I see a very different team than last year. I see a team that wants that wants to go and, and crash the boards and, and get rebounds. And um, I think it's going to be a team that shifts back into Bob Huggins' um, you know, standard team, a team that um, you know, is good on the glass. They defend, they try to defend. You know, obviously they play the best opponents. You know, I think the Big 12 is the best conference, but they it looks like this team tries to defend. It's not just Keaton Johnson, it's Joe Toussaint. Um, you know, Josiah Harris looks like he wants to defend and you got rebounders. You got, you know, you got Jimmy Bell. I was really impressed with Muhammad Wiggy, nine boards. He just looks like a natural rebounder. So um, I think I think the X factor for the Mountaineers this year will be Trey Mitchell. Um, 
you know, very modern wing. Like he's he's a considered a big, um, but he, he can play with his back to the basket, but he can stretch out and, and shoot the three ball. Um, you know, he he averaged 18 a game in two years at U- UMass, both seasons. Averaged, I think, eight points a game and like six boards at Texas. So he's got Big 12 experience. Um, you know, he's not exactly game ready yet because of that injury, but he still gave you 13 points. His shot looks smooth. Um, so I like Trey Mitchell this year to be a big factor. Yeah, for me, um, I'll I'll just what my biggest things that I've seen is that there is a hustle and a desire on defense. And I felt like last year the the water never stopped. The like teams could just score at will inside, outside, however they wanted to against this defense. And that's not the case this year. Um, I also see an effort to crash the glass, even if it comes at the expense of easy transition baskets. And I think that's something you're going to have to live with. Against Bowling Green, they had 55 rebounds. And, like, that's that's a high, high number. I don't care if it's against Bowling Green. I don't care. Like, I don't care who it's against. And then they have 45 against Mount St. Mary's. So that will and that desire to crash the boards is – is something that we didn't really see last year. And they out-rebounded Mount St. Mary's 45-28, and I think that's a big deal. Um, a couple of things for me that I want to see change. One is these guys are, I think, pressing a little bit. And I was thinking this when I was watching their game, is that take Eric Stevenson, for example. He was brought over here, and he was supposed to score the ball. And they are all fighting for minutes. They are all fighting for playing time. And I think when you have a guy like Stevenson who doesn't score or in the first game or doesn't score early in the season, he's going to start to press and start to try and do things that you would not expect him to do. Like I know in the second half, I think it was at the 15 minute mark. I think I wrote that down is there was like, he forced a loose ball and the ball went to the backcourt. The Mount St. Mary's player picked it up and he had the ball. And then Eric Stevenson dives on the floor for no reason, fouls the dude. That was his third foul. If that's against Kansas, Baylor, anyone in the Big 12, that's a serious problem. So I think those types of mental errors, because you are trying to do too much and earn your stripes and earn your spot early in the season, I think that will come. But I think they need to also realize they're not going to make or break within a game or two. And they've this coaching staff has seen them play, and they're going to figure it out. But you can't press. And you also... Let's be real. You can't turn the ball over 18 times. You just can't do it and expect yeah. to win at a high level. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, I think I have a little bit more confidence in, in a guy like Stevenson because he's been around. Uh, spent multiple years at Wichita State, was pretty much their best player, best scorer. Um, he's got a he's got a good he's got a good stroke out there. I mean, he can he can he can shoot um, and it's it's doesn't look very, very hard for him. So with his experience, guy like two Saints or Toussaint's experience, rather. Um, you'd hope they wouldn't press, and you'd hope that that they'd have some basketball knowledge um, and a working knowledge of how a Power Five conference works. Um, and they so, also get guard Jose Perez for Big Twelve play, which is another huge add. So there's going to be a lot of moving parts and a lot of moving pieces, and there's going to be a lot of guys that play in the game. And I don't think every rotation is going to be the same every single game. And I think there's going to be some games where you're playing with four dudes, and there's going to be another game where you're playing with a different four, and they all say they love each other. They all say they're like bestest of friends. They, I mean, it's gonna it's gonna show itself. It's gonna show itself yeah. one way or another. Yeah, and you know, I think the ringleader of that is Emmett Matthews. I, I 
I'm very glad he's back. Um, you know, he he had a good, we'll call it a career at at West Virginia, um, from you know when he was an 18 year old till up up until he transferred. Had some had his ups and downs, but he was a good player for us. Um, and now listening to his uh, his interview from about a month ago when he addressed the media and his post game um, the other night, he's the leader. Um, he's well spoken. He knows how to, to how to get this group together. Grew up with Eric Stevenson in Washington. Um, and I think he's the ringleader of this. And I think I'm not saying, you know, the season will make or break with him, um, but he's going to be the vocal leader and he's going to be the leader on the court with his play. Um, he's worked on a shot. His shot looks more smooth than it did. Watch his highlights at Washington. It looks more smooth than it did there too. So um, now he has experience with big 12 basketball, Pac-12 basketball. He talked about it's more of a transition, transition game. You're, you're running and gunning a little bit more. Um, so he's got experience both ways. I think he'll be the leader vocally and the leader on the court as well. So look for him to, to do big things. For me, I'll just go a little a couple team trends here to keep your eye on is one is three-point baskets. Mount St. Mary shot 48% from three, 10 to 21. And so that's not a small sample size either. So there were a lot of times West Virginia would double and Mount St. Mary's would find a wide open corner three. Like you've got to, you've got to adjust and you've got to fix. And yes, I think that will happen. It's just one game. Um, but I also think Pitt's a good measuring stick because they are a power five program. I don't care who's playing or who's not playing. You're going on a tough road environment. I, I would assume it's a quad two game just because it's a power five program on the road. It yeah. usually at least is a quad two game if it's on the road. So um, a chance to start adding to your resume when you have to go face the Xavier's, the Dukes, the Gonzaga's possibly out in Portland, then you have to face Xavier again, Auburn again. So there's a lot, a lot, a lot of question marks on this non-conference schedule. So go and take care of business early, get to 2-0, then you're undefeated, hopefully rolling into into Portland over Thanksgiving. And then you have a chance to go shock some people when you play Purdue Thanksgiving night and then possibly Gonzaga or Duke two nights later if you win that game. Yeah, it's it's a tough it's it's one of the toughest schedules we've seen. I mean, we know what the Big Twelve brings on a nightly basis. Top to bottom, the conference is probably the best in the nation. I mean, I think maybe the Big Ten could rival it, but I'm going to go Big Twelve. And I, I think one thing for this team, there's a lot of new faces. Um, you know, there's experience, but there's not a ton of experience within Bob Huggins's you know regime or whatever you want to call it. I think you got to give them a little bit of leeway. Let's remember last year's team. Like they started the season eleven to one, they lost to Marquette and then they took care of business um, in the non-conference. Obviously, in the SEC challenge, they played Arkansas later in the year, but they had already started um, to skid off a little bit. I think this team is going. They were on the downhill. They had lost four or five straight. I think this team is going to lose a couple more in the non-conference. Uh, you know that Phil Knight Legacy Classic is, you know, it is, it is star-studded. Well, like if they go through that, like. I'm not even saying go through that and win the whole thing. I'm just saying, like, obviously, if you don't win the first game, your second game's not as hard, but whatever. Like, let's yeah. just say they win the first game. They're going to either face – they're going to face one of two top ten teams in the country. Yeah, absolutely. And then there's some sneaky teams in there. UAB is coming into Morgantown. Um, Andy uh, – I think Andy Kennedy is yep. his name, former assistant for Hugs. They played, they played Mountaineers hard last year. They made the tournament last year, too. UAB, Buffalo, there's just some sneaky teams in there, and then there's the Phil Knight. So I think this team is going to lose a couple games, um, and obviously you got the Big 12 schedule. So they're going to take their, their their blows, but I think it's going to resemble that 2020 team a little bit, where or 2019 to 20, where coming off not making the tourney, you need to establish identity. I know they had Oscar Shibway and Deuce McBride, but they came out, they established themselves as a good team that wants to play for hugs, 
they took their hits, took their blows. The season ended up getting canceled, but they were going to be a six or seven team and seven seed in the tournament. And I like I like this team to be somewhere around that pack this year, where they're reestablishing their identity and they get back in the tournament despite taking their blows in Big Twelve play. Yeah, my season preview, I said West Virginia will finish sixth in the conference. They will have eighteen total wins and they will make the tournament. Um, I'm not sure if it's going to be a high seed. Like I don't think it's higher than a six seed, um, but that's okay because when you have nine new faces, eight new faces, whatever the exact number is, um, it's it's going to be like that. And you have young guys and you have some older guys, and that's just that's just the way it is. You're not you're not you can't recruit at a high level at West Virginia, even with Bob Huggins. It's just not possible to get the best players in the country to come here, and that's okay because Bob Huggins is a winner, and I think he will win and be just fine this year. And I think this is the kind of year that proves why you're a Hall of Famer. When you have these new guys, when you have these question marks, when you have these, oh, what's gonna, what it's gonna be, what's, what's this team gonna look like? And especially after a bad year last year, this is where he proves he is everything as advertised. Yeah, Hugs is everything as advertised, and he's he's you know he's had a couple of down seasons where the next year he, he turned it around really quickly. Where maybe some people pointed at that team and said, "Man, this is going to be a multi-year rebu- rebuild." Um, I know I said that with, uh, you know, Jordan McCabe and Emmett's uh, freshman season, and it wasn't a multi-year rebuild. It took him less than a year. Um, So he's a Hall of Fame coach. I trust in him. And like you said, even with Big 12 WVU Hall of Fame coach, uh, 900-plus wins, it's hard to recruit in this day and age, NIL money, and a lot of, you know, kind of one and done, the the biggest, the four and five stars, they want to use something as, you know, a stepping stool to get themselves in the NBA. You don't exactly want to, you know, come and play for Coach Hugs and get on the treadmill all the time when you make a mistake. So it is harder to recruit, um, but that's what makes him such a good coach. He gets the guys he wants, um, the guys that even if they're from the JUCO level or underrated on the on the scales, maybe um, he knows that they want to play for him. And you know, last year's a team that didn't have the identity of a true Hugs team. They didn't crash the boards. They weren't physical. They didn't dive on the floor. Um, mental lapses all the time. Um, and then there was a lot of talent with that team. I liked a lot of guys on that team last year, but they were not a true Hugs team. Um, just through one game, I see a team that wants to go out and attack the boards. Um, obviously, it's too early to tell, but it looks like they want to be that, you know, they want to get this program back to, like, the, the true identity of Hugs' normal teams. Last thing I'll say, aside from the wins and losses, this team will be fun to watch, and I will put a lot of money in the bank on that. Um, let's get into picks, football picks. We got four games for you this week. I don't have the overall numbers from the year. Uh, just didn't put that down today. Uh, three games. First, we'll go SEC country, Alabama at Ole Miss. Obviously, thriller town, Alabama, LSU. Um, and it's another road game for Nick Saban where his team has shown they are susceptible to losing and susceptible to be down. Could have lost to Texas. Uh, lost to LSU, lost to Tennessee, all on the road. Yes, one of the like those two losses were by a combined, I think, four points. But still, a loss is a loss, and for Alabama, a loss seems like it's the end of the world. I just think there's no way they lose two in a row, right? Like there's just there's just no way. I'm gonna take Alabama this week. Yeah, for me, I think they'll they'll be selling they'll be selling ice cream in hell before Alabama wins loses three games in a regular season. It's just something that doesn't happen. I'm going to go Alabama pretty big. UCF Tulane, two ranked teams, possibly could decide who the group of five New Year's 16 is um, when it's all said and done. Uh, 
All I know is Tulane beat Kansas State, and Kansas State's a really good team. And I watched UCF play the other day, and I didn't really like everything that I saw. And that was two weekends ago. So I'm going to go Tulane at home because they're at home. Mm, yeah, I wanted to go Tulane because Kansas State's only losses to Tulane in Manhattan. Um, I don't know. I think I'll flip it last second since you went Tulane. I'll go UCF. I like Gus Malzahn. Um, he's won down there. I don't know exactly how they've looked over the last few weeks, but I'll go UCF. And then TCU, Texas College game day game, prime time. It's going to be a thriller, I think. And I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a shootout. I think you're going to have a shootout down there at DKR this weekend. TCU's due to lose, right? Like they're just due to lose, right? And Texas is due for the big home win, right? Like, ah, I'm going to take Texas. I just think they're going to be at home. And I just think at some point something's got to give with this TCU team. There's no way they go undefeated, right? Like there's just, there's just no way, right? I'm going to take Texas. I'm going to go Texas too. Um, you know, I I feel like we've picked a lot of TCU games and I'm always picking against TCU. Let me establish, like, I am, you know, Sonny Dykes, Max Duggan, they've impressed me. They are a good football team um, and they deserve the hype they're getting, but nope, they're I, I just don't see them w- winning, going 12, 13-0. and 0. I also don't think Quentin Johnson's fully healthy, and I think that's a big deal when it's all said and done. Like that's that's great that they got the number four in the playoff rankings. I just I don't see it. Texas is talented. Like you said, they're due to lose. I'll I'll go against TCU for like the eighth time this year, but it'll happen this week. Yeah, I've rode Oklahoma State, who's lost a bunch and gone against TCU a bunch, and neither has worked. But whatever. That's why I don't put money on these things. Oklahoma, West Virginia. Um, I'll go first for this one. Every bone in my body wants me to pick Oklahoma, but I just think there's no way this offense has another bad performance back-to-back. And it'd be cool for this team to win at home and win against Oklahoma, who they haven't beaten since joining the Big 12. So I'm going to take the Mountaineers. I'm going to take final score 42-38 West Virginia. Yeah, I was going to pick uh, the Mountaineers as well, like preseason. I like I circled this game as, you know, this is going to be the year the Mountaineers get the monkey off their back. Um, and even before, like, before we started this podcast, I was going to go to the Mountaineers. But at this point, I just – something always seems to, to, to happen. Um, you know, I, I know they, they come out and they show up for the home, home fans in Morgantown, but Oklahoma finds a way every year against the Mountaineers. Um, there's a lot of problems with this team. I think JT Daniels and the offense do get get back to, to scoring points. I think they'll put up 35 or so, but um, I think Oklahoma will put up 42. I'll go 42, 35 Sooners. Yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to pick West Virginia just because I've seen this team the whole year. And maybe it's the thought of, well, they're going to bounce back, but I just, I, I just don't know how – like, when I think about it, I think of – okay, how do you not score points against against this Oklahoma defense? But then I think about how do you then stop this Oklahoma offense? So yeah. it's 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 a toss-up, I think. And I think Oklahoma getting eight points on the road, I think that's a lot. I think that is a lot of yeah. points. Um they're not that good to be getting eight on the road, but I don't I don't yeah. think they are either. Um and that mean they'd get at least eleven. I don't it just, just doesn't make full sense to me. But I don't know. I I'll just go with West Virginia, I guess, and try and gain a game on you somehow, some way. That that'll be my excuse if West Virginia gets rolled this Saturday. I mean, I wanted to go West Virginia, but at this point in the season, I just can't trust them to do anything at this point. Um, you know, I'm just gonna let the history do the speaking, and you know, I I hope I'm wrong. I I, I hope I'm wrong. 
And that's why they play the games. We will see. So big weekend for Mountaineer sports. Um, big weekend. Men's basketball Friday at Pitt Backyard Brawl. Football Saturday. Women's soccer hosting a NCAA tournament match Sunday. They just won the Big 12 tournament. That was really impressive. That goal by Jordan Brewster. If you haven't seen it, go find it on Twitter or somewhere because it was insane. And sometimes the ball bounces your way. And it sure is a bounce their way. So that'll do it from us. If you made it this far, we do appreciate you listening. I'm Wesley Shoemaker, joined by the one and only Aaron Parker. Thank you for listening. This is the Blue Gold Sports Podcast.